0: Welcome to the Truth Wars podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We wanted to let you know that Olin's first book, What to Do with Worry, is now available on Audible. You can also purchase physical copies where Christian books are sold. Now, here's Olin. Bible, let's open up to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. And we pray one more time. Lord, hear us, bless us, fill us. We we want to experience more of what the New Testament Church experienced, specifically, Lord, in the area of the power, uh, the conversions, the momentum, Lord, the the speed of growth, but the depth of growth and and the breadth of growth, uh, the dependence. Speak to us, Father, about what we can do to be the right kind of leaders, Lord, to work in conjunction with the Holy Spirit to see such things happen. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. What we're really going to talk about now is more of our corporate prayer life, right? So we kind of, we're making a little bit of a circle. We started talking to some degree about our personal prayer life, and we're going to end talking about our corporate prayer life. It's a good question to ask yourself, how's how's your personal prayer life going? That's a question a lot of times I'll ask staff people, but... If personal life, whether it's going good or bad, a great follow-up question is, how's your corporate prayer life going? Because I've done a couple of studies on the books of Acts, really trying to say, okay, what were all the different ingredients of the movement that we saw in Acts? And one time I did it, and I think I came away with like, I don't know, 17 or 21 things, and it's kind of overwhelming. Uh, it was good, but as I've tried to refine it over the years, and it's kind of like if you just had to get it down to one thing. The, the way they prayed, right? The way they prayed. It, it was unique. I think it was unique among the church. Obviously, you've got to be preaching the gospel. There's other things. you got to have the right leaders. you got to be serious about holiness, boldness, and risk. But I think if we tried to say some of the things I think we say the book of Acts, like, dude, we're doing this. They were sharing their faith a lot. Like We're sharing our faith a lot. But I think when I look at the book of Acts and I put it up against my life, my ministry that I'm involved in, the churches I'm connected to, I'm like, what seems to be the biggest obvious difference that we in some sense have some control over? It would be the corporate prayer. So think about Acts chapter 1. What do you find them doing? 120 believers, they're gathered and they're devoting themselves to prayer. They were doing other stuff. They were appointing new leaders, but they were doing it out of a prayer meeting. Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came, Pentecost, they were praying. They were praying. And they have all these conversions. Peter steps up and preaches 3,000 people and then at the end of Acts chapter 2 is kind of saying what the church did and one of the things they did, they were devoted to prayer. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, they're going up. I think they were going up to the temple to pray. But they see a lame man share the gospel, healing, people start coming to Christ. At that point, Luke, you know, the first time he's like 3,000 people come to Christ. Now it's 5,000 men, I think is the way he counts it in Acts chapter 3. But, there's such an uproar over this healing, over this preaching, over all these conversions. They get arrested. And that's really what we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 4 and really just look at their corporate prayer life. So let's start in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Now as they observed, this is the court. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood they were uneducated and untrained, they were amazed and they began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. It's hard to argue with that. Like, there's that lame dude, and he's walking around with him. Hard to argue. Verse 15. Now when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. When they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them, on account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man was more than forty years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. So, good prayer life a lot of times starts from a problem. I mean, sometimes why is our corporate prayer life so dry? It is, it is we're not necessarily burdened by things. I'm like, ah, my life's okay, right? I mean, we're, we're not. Most of us are not suffering persecution like this. Maybe some of us have had an experience before being kicked out of a fraternity house, kicked off even a campus. For the most part, you're in Texas, man. This is the belt buckle of the Bible belt, right? It's like you get prayed, but people are like, oh, you're a missionary? Good for you, man. That's really good. I'm glad you're on mission. We get accolades. And so it kind of feels a lot of times, well, things are pretty good. Could be a lot worse. We're not as driven to pray. We're not as burdened to pray. So the court calls them together. There's been this miracle, and they're like, we, we can't really arrest them. We can't really punish them because they're too popular right now. We're just going to try to threaten them. That didn't go over very well. I mean, I, Peter's response has got to have some sarcasm in it. Like, Hey, guys, you be the judge. Should we obey you, the judge of this little rinky-dink court, or should we obey God, judge of the universe? But I'll let you know what we're going to do. We've already made up our mind. And and I, he, and I love the way he says it. We can't stop speaking about what we've seen and what we've heard. Now, this is kind of a side note. This, this might be helpful for some of you. I know in my life, most of the times when I share the gospel, here's the way it works. I know I need to share the gospel with that guy. I'm going to make myself share the gospel with this guy. Whether it's on an airplane, whether it's the next door neighbor, whether it's a guy at the gym, whether it's a guy in the attorney house. Like, I think that guy's lost. This is my job. I need to make an appointment. I need to do it. There's a faithfulness. There's a duty. And listen, that's not bad. That's good. You understand? That's, that's good to share the gospel People come to Christ that way. And you think that person's gonna be mad later? Like, you just shared the gospel with me out of duty. Well, you got to go to heaven, right? So it worked out. <laughs> but for my heart, every once in a while there is a sense where you're talking to somebody. Maybe a friend, maybe a neighbor, and they're pouring out what's going on. They're just overwhelmed, and you're like, I- I you. I- I've got to interrupt you. I've got a neighbor who grew up as a devout Hindu. And his mom just died, and he's wrecked emotionally about it. He's 26 years old, and I've had spiritual conversations with his grandfather, spiritual conversations with his father. Right? There's like three generations that used to live there. Never really had conversations with him, but I'm just told, "Hey, hey, man, how you doing? Your mom died," and he's pouring out. And he's like, "Man, in, in my sect of Hinduism, we're not allowed to grieve. It's like if I cry over my mom, it, it hurts her in the next life." And I just, and I, and I just and I'm not the most compassionate guy in the universe, right? I need to go. But it's like, I'm just welling up with compassion as this guy's sitting here saying, I have all these tears I want to shed for my mom and I can't shed them. And I'm just like, man, this is going to be awkward. The whole Hindu, Christianity is like, I've got to share something with you. i got to share this story from John 11 about Jesus. You just got, I, I, I'm not trying to attack your whole religion right now. I'm just telling you, they're off on that point, I guarantee you. It's okay to grieve because... What I believe is the God of the universe grieves with us. See that moment of little, almost pre-evangelism. It wasn't like I need to go share with my neighbor. It was just I, I can't not tell you about this. It's too good. That's one of the things that I want to pray for myself. I want to pray for y'all. Is like I wish that evangelism was happening more like that for us all the time. Just like I gotta speak up. Because I've, I've seen too much. I've heard too much. I've experienced too much. Jesus has been too real, too sweet, too beautiful to me. I've got to talk about it. Right? And I think that's part of what comes out of a corporate prayer life where you're praying for the lost. And we may not have a lot of problems in our life, but the problem we ought to feel is we're saturated with nominal Christianity all around us. Not to even mention the nations, right? I'm just talking about the people here. So, start with a problem. That's where good corporate prayer really starts is a problem. And then, the best way to start your prayer life is really with preaching and praise. And I'll I'll explain what I mean by that. Okay, let's start in verse 28. 23, excuse me. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. Let's pick up where we left off. When they had been released, they went to their own companions and we don't know if, this is probably they went back to the 120 kind of the leadership team of the church certainly in all 5,000 right when they had been released they went to their own companions and they reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them and when they heard this they lifted their voice to God with one accord and just pause there what does that mean even if it was maybe it was just the 12 but does that mean all 12 of them were like speaking in unison I don't think so most likely it's like one person is praying, but nobody else is on their phone texting, right? Everybody else is listening, agreeing, whether you say amen or not, that's more your tradition, who cares? But you're at least amening in your heart. If you're the biggest, most painful introvert in the world, you may not be saying anything out loud. But inside you're like, yes, Lord, I agree with that. And and then you pray, and other people agree. There's this oneness, this agreement. And Jesus makes extra special promises, right, where two or more agree on anything. There's a special promise. And it's like they're cashing in on it. They're praying in one accord. We ought to be praying this way regularly. O oh Lord, it is you who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage, and the peoples devised futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city they were gathered together, together. Your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. So they start their prayer, not with a request, but more of a meditation on the attributes of God. And notice how they do it. They're quoting Scripture. Part of what they're quoting here is Psalm chapter 2. So one big application from our couple of days together. Pray the Psalms. Pray them individually, pray them corporately. So there's this ancient psalm. King David wrote it. And probably what had happened is at some point, a bunch of Gentile nations had conspired to come get him. But he's like, no, 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 I'm God's king over God's people. And literally it's like all these nations are coming. I'm overwhelmed. I'm outnumbered. But I got God on my side. And so God looks at all these little puny ants of nations coming against me, and he just laughs at them. God's not scared. God's, God is the picture of confidence. And so as long as I'm focused on Him, I'm meditating on Him, I'm worshiping Him, I'm praising Him, I'm preaching this truth to myself, I'm reminded I can be confident. Not because of anything in me, just because of who I got on my team. Right? That's what they're doing. That's a good prayer life. You know, I have a good friend, works for Campus Outreach, been on staff a long time, and he, and he's, he knows himself well. He is one of the guys, he will talk about his weaknesses. And part of what he says is, I tend to swing between apathy and anxiety some problem comes and at first I can have this thing of like "Uh, who cares God is sovereign God's going to handle it I don't have to do anything I can just lay on the couch and God will handle it and then at some point I get convicted I'm like I think God actually does want me to do something so then I swing the pendulum all the way over to like anxiety like it's all on me and it's this crushing burden and i got to work and i got to figure it out both of those are a bad way to live right and again, based on your personality, maybe your upbringing, we probably tend to one or the other. Apathy, at least in Christian circles, is, is a kind of so-called God-centered passivity. You understand what I mean by that? It's like we can put some Christian language on it. You know, I read a R.C. Sproul book, and I believe God's sovereign and uh, predestination and all that. So people are going to get saved whether I do anything or not. So I just keep watching TV. That's not what God wants. But... Anxiety, and this is probably my guess is where more of you are living. It's a man-centered proactivity. You're working hard, but there's a type of hard work, workaholism, that's all based on my own strength, and that ain't going to end well. It can look really good. It can be a great counterfeit for a while, but a crash is coming. So if I don't want a God-centered, so-called, passivity, nor a man-centered proactivity. What is it? That I want I want a God-centered proactivity. And what's the best way to cultivate that? Your prayer life. And you just just think about this with just a second guys because virtually everything else that we do in ministry makes some logical sense, right? If I go and talk to a student about you ought to go to our winter conference because it's going to be fun and all the great things in Frisco and all that. There's at least a chance that they might listen to us, like us, trust us, and say, okay, I'll pay the money, I'll go. If There's a logical sense if I go and talk to somebody about Christ and I show them historic proofs that Jesus really did live and die and raise and I show them biblical text, that at some point they say, I believe this, I do have a sense of guilt, I'll trust. So much of what we do, it makes logical sense. It doesn't make any logical sense that if I go into a room all by myself and talk out loud into the air where no other human being can hear, That the universe might get changed. The only way that makes sense is if God is real. Right? But I'm very active in the place of prayer. But it's a proactive kind of dependence on the Lord. And we need to cultivate this on our own and corporately. And and the best kind of prayer... Listen. You're driving down the highway, and a big 18-wheeler slams on brakes in front of you, and you're like, oh, God, help me. I mean, that's a great prayer. It's not like you've got to have meditation first, right? But in general, the best kind of prayer life is where I start with God's Word. I start with what God has already said about Himself. And I, it's like logs on the fire. His character, His attributes. And I'm meditating on it, and there's just this sense of power and an emotional, spiritual sense of wealth is just rising up. Like, this is the king of the universe. And he's my dad. And I'm knocking on his door. And sometimes he's a little slow. Right? And I don't get it. Why well, he didn't come as quick as I like him to. But I've learned if I keep beating on this door, eventually this door will answer. And you just live your whole life that way. Now, part of what's interesting is the attribute that they chose to focus on was his Sovereignty. Which is like, man, that's like one of those confusing ones, right? I mean, it's like, why can't you focus on an easy one like love? Because sovereignty brings up so many questions, right? And and, and talking about prayer, sovereignty brings up a lot of problems about prayer, does it not? I mean, have any of you ever known, maybe some of you have been, the guy or the girl that first starts learning about sovereignty and predestination, all that kind of stuff, and you're like, what am I doing then? Why am I wasting my time waking up early having 30-minute-long devotions and praying? If God already knows what he's going to do anyway, I'll just sleep in. I mean, I've, know, I've known people that when they first start learning about God's sovereignty, it ruins them. But listen, that's a wrong application for at least two reasons. Number one, the Bible just teaches the sovereignty of God. And by that way, it's just a big word. I mean, God just controls everything. The script is written. As much as the Bible talks about it, it also talks about we have a part to play. We're supposed to work. We're supposed to pray. We're supposed to share our faith. And you're like, I can't figure it out. Neither can I. And neither can anybody on planet earth. It's not illogical. It's just supra logical. It's above logic. We're not going to figure it out to the next life. I think Charles Spurgeon said, we're going to walk in the gates of heaven. And it's like, whosoever will come. And you're going to get in the gates. You're going to turn around. You're going to look at the back gate. And it's going to say, chosen before the foundation of the world. I'm like, how does that work? Jesus can explain it then. I don't know. But guys... The Bible commands us to pray. So even if we're like, I don't understand how it works, doesn't matter. Pray anyway. That's part of submission. That's part of humility. Just do it. But the second point is this. God ordains not just the ends, but the means. And the ends of people coming to Christ and the nations being reached happens through the means of prayer and evangelism. So i got to do all of it. And guys, the more you really understand the sovereignty of God, at first it can be a turn off to our prayer life. But it ultimately comes fuel for our prayer life because like Proverbs 21, verse 1 says, God holds even the king's heart in his hands like water and he can just channel it wherever he wants. We've had a couple times in the history of CO we've gotten kicked off a of campus. I was talking to a couple of y'all about that the other day and somebody's like, well, how'd y'all get back on? It's like, we, we did pull any strings we could, influential people, but mainly we just prayed. God, would you change hearts? Change hearts of presidents? change hearts of chaplains. It's amazing. God can do that. He does it. You know? He can grant favor. And he can take the lost, hardest guy in the fraternity, in the sorority, on the football team, whatever it is, and he can save them like that whenever he wants to. Something I've done with my discipleship groups, I, you know, 25 years of ministry, maybe I have done this four times, is I'll, I'll get my discipleship group together and I'll say, who is the biggest, toughest, meanest, hardest atheistic, partying, like the person that you think there's not a snowball's chance in Hades they'd ever come to Christ. And usually they know. Like it's not like we've got to think no there's this one dude he, he hates God and he's an atheist or you know this guy he doesn't care he just parties his brains out. And I was like let's all commit to praying for that guy. Let's commit to praying for him like every day. Now I think I think I've done this four times. And two of the times the guy got saved. Now both times it took about two years. But what do you think happened, not just to my heart, but to my disciples' heart, when that guy really professed faith? Right? It's like they wanted to become a little charismatics, right? Start singing and dancing. It's like, this stuff works, man! You know? It's like God can save him. He can save anybody. It's real. So, pray. And you got, notice, corporate prayer. prayer. Maybe the best fuel for a strong private prayer life is your corporate prayer life. And maybe the best fuel for a strong corporate prayer life is your private prayer life, right? They're symbiotic. They help each other. So, they're meditating on Psalm 2. Like, man, we got all these Jewish rulers. They're threatening us. They got armies. They got soldiers. I mean, in one sense, this was the same court that helped lead to Jesus' death. I mean, think about how that can mess with you Psychologically. Didn't turn out for him too good in the short run. You sure you want to speak so sarcastically and boldly next time, Peter? But it's like, I know the end game. I know the end game. Yeah, we might get hurt in the short run. But I trust the end game. So I can be bold. David had some dark days, but God came through for him. Peter and John had some dark days. God came through for him. You and me are going to have some dark days. God's going to come through for you. And you keep going back to the Scripture and you pray and you meditate and you preach and you praise. Okay. And guys, just... I don't want to get off on this theologically. But when people really wrestle with the whole sovereignty of God, I mean, ultimately, when you you go all the way, here's the bottom line. How could a good God ever ordain evil? I mean, that's, that's that's the biggest mystery. That's the hardest question there is. Where did evil come from? And I think Calvin said, God ordained evil in such a way that He's not the author of it. And you're like... Thanks for nothing. What's that mean? That's about the best you can do. But here's the thing. What we know for sure, what every single one of us in here, I know you believe it, is God absolutely ordained the greatest sin that ever happened. The murder of His own Son. If He didn't ordain anything else, He ordained that one. Worst sin ever. And He ordained that one, why? So the greatest gift of life and grace and love could flow from it. So when you go through all the hardships and you're like, I don't... I mean, this, this is where it gets practical. You're going through something hard and you're like, I know, I can see the lessons in the other stuff, but I can't see the good lesson in this one, God. Why this breakup? Why this person left the faith? Why this person got into some... How could you turn this into something good? It's like, I love to think about the Apostle John... <laughs> on the original good friday that wasn't so good when jesus hangs his head and died and he's like man i put all my hopes in this guy and he just died a terrible shameful death i mean i wonder if he like literally wrestled with suicidal depressive thoughts what's the point Two days later, he knew the point, right? Now, we don't always get the answer in two days. But this is why part of a good prayer life is you meditate on Scripture to keep just reminding yourself of the truth. Oh yeah, that's my God. My God is the expert at taking tragedy and turning it into triumph. That's his calling card. It's just a matter of time. Okay. Tim Keller. Tim Keller. They heal themselves of their fear by meditating. We need a change of heart more than we need a change of circumstances. You really believe that? One thing you will notice in this prayer, okay? Now that, that, that was that was the praise, the preaching. We might say the meditation. Now we're going to shift the actual prayer. They don't pray for deliverance. I mean, just put yourself in their shoes. What would have you been praying for? Be like, hey God, I don't want to go to jail. Can we, can, I don't want to go to prison. I don't want to get arrested. I don't want to get tortured. I don't want that cat-and-own-tails flogging thing. I certainly don't want crucifixion. Keep us away from that. That's not what they pray for. Listen, it's not wrong to pray for any of that. Philippians 4 said you pray about anything. In all things about prayer. Pray about anything. Nothing's too big, nothing's too small. But that's not what they prayed about. Verse 29, let's see what they prayed about. I get excited and I accidentally flip pages when I don't need to. All right, Acts chapter 4, verse 29. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. That's what I prayed for. Just keep us preaching, Lord. Even if we're getting killed while we're doing it, keep us confident. While you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, sometimes, let me just pause here. Well, let me keep you on. Verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, sometimes people study the book of Acts, you read places like this, and you're like, but, you know, uh, I think the most significant thing is they had like signs and wonders. They had miracles, they were raising people from the dead, they were healing lame people. Olin, you said it was corporate prayer, I think it's this. Well, I said, what can we control? And they're like, man, that's what I want to pray for. I don't pray for all the miracles and the good stuff. Awesome. Pray for that. And there's different theologies about have those gifts ceased, have they not? Don't even want to talk about that right now. But let's just just imagine if Jesus, you know, Jason was like, hey, sorry, Olin couldn't make it, but Jesus is making a special appearance. He's going to come back and speak for us. Like, okay, this will be good. And Jesus came in and he said, hey, guys, I will give you all these 80 people in this room, you all got to all have a consensus, so you got to talk amongst yourself, make a decision, but choose from all the supernatural gifts and I'll give you one. I'll, I'll give you the ability to on a regular basis, not anytime you want to, but fairly often, perform a supernatural miracle but it has to kind of be the same one over and over again. Which one do you choose? Raise the dead, heal the lame, heal the blind, get transported like Philip. That's pretty cool, right? I mean, there's some cool stuff in the tongues of fire, all the wind, the noise. It's like... What about raising a dead sinner to life? I'll take that one. It's not as flashy. The reality is, you could raise a dead person back to life and they might not be a Christian and they might die again and still go to hell. And what good was that? Party trick. If I only get one supernatural gift, I want the power to be able to speak the Word of God and God use my words to literally turn on the spiritual lights of a dead person. And that's the one that we all agree, right? The most conservative John MacArthur person in the world would agree, yeah, we got that gift. So let's use it, baby. Let's cash in. Let's pray hard and let's go out in all confidence and keep sharing the gospel boldly and begging God, save sinners, save the hardest, save the farthest. Convert people. And that's what they're praying for. Guess what are you praying for the most? You know, my guess is a lot of you, you're, you're the disciplined, driven type. you got a prayer list. Maybe it's even written down, and you pray through it every day. Maybe you got the Monday too, and that's good. I do that. I'm for that. I'm not against that. But that's not the question I'm asking right now, because I'm sure your prayer list is really good. Like, I've got five unreached people groups, and it's good. You should, right? That's not what I'm asking about. I'm asking about the heat of the moment prayers, when you're laying in bed at night and you're tired and you can't fall asleep and something's bugging you, what is it you're just kind of, spontaneously, your heart is just kind of, God, help me in this area. I'm sick of being single. I'm sick of living on support. What is it? I said, None of those prayers are bad. You ought to pray. I'm, I'm for praying more of those things, right? Raw. Exposed nerve honesty with God Will take you far in life What I'm saying is I want to get To where of more My just kind of spontaneous heart desires are God save the lost Yeah there's some things Like in my own family You know I like this change and Yeah it's not wrong to pray that But it's like I want my lost neighbor to be saved That's what the burden of my heart God That's what was going on with these guys God We might get killed out here. In fact, a lot of them were going to get killed out there eventually, right? It was coming. It was just a matter of time. I'm getting my head chopped off. You're getting crucified. You're getting skinned alive. But it's like, hey, God, help us go out with all confidence. Don't let us back down for a second when the threats come. And let there be power so that people get saved. Flip over to Romans chapter 8 for just a second. Romans chapter 8. You know, more people do come to Christ the next time they start preaching. I think it's in chapter 5. Maybe it's verse 14. And Luke just gives up to that point. It's like Luke was trying to keep account How many people were getting saved? And it's like he just quits counting. <laughs> What's a movement? That's a movement. When you can't keep track anymore. Like, how many people came to your conference? We don't even know because there were like people sleeping in the floor. They didn't pay. They didn't even have like the little name tag to get in the door. They're like just breaking in. We we can't keep track. That's a movement. It's uncontrollable. Romans chapter 8, look at verse 15. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children to God. We're bringing it back full circle. When I got that kind of confidence, my dad's the king of the universe. And my dad likes to take his kids to work. Did any of y'all actually ever do that when you were a little kid? Go like... Go to work with mom or dad day. And okay? right, how much did you actually help? You just made their life harder that day. Hey, buddy, go get me a cup of coffee and just try not to spill it on the way. Hey, dad, can I use the coffee machine? No, you can't because I know what you'll do, right? You'll just make a face on there and waste paper. And but what was that? It was about I love you, I like you, I want you to be a part of my. And, guys, a lot of sense that that is what our evangelism and prayer and discipleship and all is that about. God's like, I'm on mission. I'm doing this. I'm conquering the universe. I'm going to reach every tongue, tribe, and nation. And I just like you and I'm inviting you along for the journey. And do we have a part to play? Yes, we have a part to play, guys, but it's tiny. Don't take yourself too serious. Just show up and do your part. And is it a war and could you get killed? Yeah. But we got a great retirement plan, right? So what's the big deal? You know, John Piper, we will not know what prayer is for until we know that life is war. He's got this great thing where he says, if you try to treat prayer like it's the intercom in your mansion to call the butler for another pillow, don't be surprised when the butler doesn't come, because God ain't your butler. Now, that's the South Georgia way to say it, okay? But when you start to learn that my prayer life is a walkie-talkie, when I'm in wartime combat and I'm about to get killed and I'm calling for my commander to send in the air support to save me, that's when God tends to show up and answer prayers. Because I'm on mission. I'm aligned, right? Well, what He's called me to do? So what were they doing here with this corporate prayer time? I think partially, and I'm not saying they had this in the front lobe of their mind, but big picture thematically, they didn't want to be like Elijah. Remember Elijah? I mean, Elijah maybe saw the greatest revival of all time in ancient Israel. Right? It's like all the false prophets, he's like, let's kill them. And God's like, I approve. He got to chop all their heads off. Like the whole nation is like, the Lord, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. It's like, doesn't get any better than that. But Queen Jezebel didn't get saved that day. And Queen Jezebel is like, I'm still going to kill you. And Elijah's like, It's not enough. I didn't get everything I wanted. Still scary down here. Just take me home, God. I'm done. How do you not get there? It, it, it's, it's this corporate prayer life. We're all praying together. Hey, we're on a team. We're not alone. Remember Elijah? He's like, I'm all alone. God's like, You're not alone. I got prophets hidden in caves you only know about. So do the Christian life. The the Christian life is not supposed to be Lone Ranger mentality. It's a corporate mentality. We're praying together. We're working together. We're sharing together. And we're depending on the Lord together to come through and do this thing. And, And when you have the really, really dark days, just go back, guys, and meditate on the cross. There was not ever a darker day than that, and there will never be a darker day in your life than that, no matter how bad it gets. How depressed you get, it's like, it could be worse. You could be the Apostle John standing at the feet of your Savior who just died. But he rose again. To pay the price, right, for all of my fear, all my anxiety, all my apathy. It's covered. I'm forgiven. I'm in. Great retirement plan. Can't lose it. Can't screw it up. So I can go out with all confidence. Keep preaching this message. Lord Jesus, make us into the men of prayer, the women of prayer, the teams of prayer. We want our roots to go down deep into you, into your word, so we taste and see the goodness, Lord. Like we really, we don't just know all this stuff intellectually, we, we taste it. And it's sweet and it's good and it's powerful, and it casts out fear, and it casts out laziness. And it brings proper power and motivation to our ministry. Lord, keep us faithful. Keep us confident. Keep us fruitful. For your name and fame, not for ours. That the nations may know. Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen. And to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.